And I appreciate Jeremy's announcements this morning. He said something that's probably all on our mind, and it's this, the master of stating the obvious, is what sometimes I call myself, is saying things that are just perfectly obvious. But there's a lot of things happening in our congregation right now that cause us all to reflect on our lives, I guess. Reflect on the things that have happened to us, things we've done to other people, and reflect on the recent past. I remember had a conversation with a couple of people about COVID. Seems like a long time ago now, nearly. And how in many, many circles, that was the worst thing that had ever happened. <laughs> that the church would never survive because COVID was going to tear it all up. And there was a fear of that. I guess it could have happened. Thankfully, it didn't happen. But as I reflect back on that, sometimes it causes me to reflect back on more things. And what I encourage you to do this morning, you'll, you'll notice, this is not going to be my normal three points and 20 verses and down the, down the line. Uh, I, I laugh uh, when I vary up from that because probably Coulter or Callan One has a good imitation of how I normally do my lessons. This is probably going to be a little bit different, and I hope it causes you to think. That's really what I encourage you to do. Think and process what's going on with you, what's happened in your life, and then don't stop there. Let's look at Scripture and see if I'm thinking about it and doing it the right way. Am I using all the resources that I have? Because we say it lots of times, we're family, and we are. And it's easy to say that when things are like this. <laughs> when everything's hunky-dory. But as we all, if you've got any age on you, you can think back. There's been lots of times when my life was great. <laughs> There's been lots of times in my life when it wasn't great. And the key is going back to God's Word and letting God's family help us fill in those gaps. When we're doing great, we can help those who are suffering in any number of ways. We don't get self-absorbed in what's going on with ourselves that we're doing so well that we forget about other people. Or vice versa, when things are going terrible, that we're able to reach out and get help from those that can offer it. And that we truly do treat each other as family in good times and bad. And, and we do that. We do very well at that. But it's always something we need to be thinking about doing better and always keep it on our minds. I was raised in a church family. I went to church all my life, three times a week. I, I call it, as I look back, probably a charmed life. It seemed like lots of things went really well. Had good parents, had good experiences at school. I'm not saying it was without it. I'm going to give you the sketch version. There's going to be some other things that if you talk to me in person, I could probably tell you in a lot more detail. And I'm going to tell you these things not so you can look at, at Brent and go, wow, or poor him, either one. What I'm wanting to do is spur your thought to look back on your life. Look back at the things that have happened to you and then be able to use that properly to deal with things that come up in your life, to help other people that are dealing with things that come up in their life. Because when we put a group of 400 people here together, collectively we've experienced a lot of life. And we've experienced a lot of good, and we've experienced a lot of bad. 
Because guess what? As long as there's people, that's how it's going to be. But that's all I knew is my charmed little life. Some of you know all this. Some of you probably know me better than I know me because I was a kid and, and have some skewed view of things. But went to College Station to school. Many of y'all remember that. I remember people being worried about me going to school, getting lost in whatever you get lost in in college in, in those days. Pretty much the same things you can get lost in in college in these days. Then I dated pretty quickly and married someone pretty quickly that wasn't in the church. I'll have to give it to my mother. She was the only one that had faith in Leslie and I. Her mother and my father, I think they were ready to wring our necks. <laughs> they thought we were very impulsive. And, and probably looking back, if my kids would have done that, different perspective that we're going to talk about a little bit, I probably would have been a little worried myself. Got involved in an exclusionary church. I couldn't think of a better way to say that. A church that believed Jay Henderson was from the devil. And that if I went to church here, there's no way I could be saved and struggle with that in lots and lots of ways. Experienced success at school, though. So here I had success on one side and, I don't say misery, but sure, unrest on one side. Younger sister moved there and tried to have good influence and really didn't have a lot of success because of all lots of different things that went on. Spent about five years there, moved to Illinois. Uh, they really didn't know the church as we know it. There was some around, some Mike Hayes-associated churches. He, he knew some of the names we were talking about it the other day. It was a 90-mile drive to one that was close, and it was one of those where there's a couple of people and a couple of other old people and drying up and ready to die and did pretty soon after, after we left from there. Long drives, bad weather, easy to miss, easy to fall short of what my charm life had been. Again, success at work and school. Leslie was an engineer with a major food company. Uh, we struggled. We had kids, we had marriage problems, we had no support, we had nobody. Uh, kind of of our own doing as you look back on it. And again, remember, don't, don't think about my story. Maybe it helped, it'll help you know me, but think about your, what's been going on in your life as you were raised and as you experienced life. My nature, like many of you probably, is I remember those bad things and bad times, and I don't want to think about them anymore. <laughs> Been there, done that. Let's act like that never happened. And I'm not saying we need to dwell on those things, but I've got to remember not everybody's had the, the benefit of coming out on the other side of situations like that. Maybe not exactly the same, but not, not able to see their way through. And again, we'll talk about this more in a minute. It's very difficult to have perspective when you're the one living it. You can't. I knew I was miserable at times, but I couldn't see my way out of it. Leslie and I together couldn't see our way out of it. We couldn't see our way out of it with a little 12-month-old baby and then another one that was born six months later. We moved to Oklahoma. Had a great church situation there for a few years. Small church, but 150 people. And then the very people that, well, I'll say before that, Jacob was born. Uh, we had two. Jacob was born there. 
and complete surprise uh, was born and six hours later he, they say he's got six hours to live and I remember vividly we were we were in the hallway we didn't have a clue what was going on for some things going on I remember vividly leaned up against the wall in a narrow corridor in the, in the hospital at Durant, Oklahoma just sliding down the wall with Leslie and just crying in the middle of the hall because there was nothing we could do. Um, now, you know the outcome of that story. He didn't die. <laughs> Through a variety of what I would call extraordinary circumstances, uh, God being with us and good medical care and things falling in line, uh, he went from 13% oxygen for about four hours the day of his birth. Other than a period of time from when he's about 15 to 16, where we wondered without severe brain damage. He's, he's, he's overcome that, I promise. Things have worked out well. I couldn't see that at the time. As we followed an ambulance to Oklahoma City and he had open heart surgery when he was two days old. And he laid there with all the monitors blinking and, and, and we thought that was the worst we would see. And then within a couple of years, the church that had been home to us split into terrible, terrible split. And it wasn't a physical harm that came to us, but it was an emotional and a spiritual rip of people that we loved and cared for from both sides. In my opinion, at 32, for whatever that was worth, <laughs> at 32, acting like 10-year-old kids. People I respected, and therefore I lost respect for people that were my leaders, people that were informal leaders, and struggled through that. And didn't have a lot of people I felt could really, we had some people that gave us counsel. Should have done a lot more of that, but again, had people we could go to to help see through a crisis that lasted a year that we couldn't see our way through. Because we were in the middle of it, because we had no experience. We had never seen anything like that or heard of anything like that. Now there are people that had. All the while, had a great job still. Loved it but it was a sorry atmosphere. Since then, the owners have all, they were brothers, they've all gone their own way, don't really get along. The one that kind of ran the company's been married two or three times, had two or three on the side. That was the atmosphere he promoted. Uh, rough life, lots of welders, great product, a lot of fun working there, doing lots of interesting, neat things. but it wasn't where we wanted to raise our kids for lots of reasons. We moved back here. Well, we had family, we had a church, we had relationships. Gonna be the perfect answer, right? And I remember for several years, we struggled. Our kids didn't fit in. <laughs> they just didn't. Now they do now but they didn't at the time. I remember changing careers, going from where I had built my whole life, being an engineer, 
knowing things, being in charge, being the boss, to and what many, especially the circles I had been educated and ran in, and, and many of you've heard the thing, I went to be a teacher. <laughs> what a demotion. For those of you that are teachers, you've been there and done that. You've heard people talk about that, but not in the same scheme as when I go back, when I went back to college reunions and I had previously been engineering student of the year at Texas A&M University, outstanding student in the College of Agriculture at Texas A&M University. You're a teacher? <laughs> You wasted your life. <laughs> Lots of ups and downs. Wouldn't trade it. Would I do some things different? I would. And again, the point of all that is not to make you feel sorry for me or to put me on a pedestal, either one. Every single one of you has got things that's happened, good and bad, that's made you what you are. Every single one of us. That was the 2012 version. If you remember, I, don't, I barely remember 10 years ago, <laughs> seems like. I pulled up my sermon from 10 years ago, and that's about what it was. And 10 years have passed since then. And I look at my friends that have had terrible health tragedies in their life that are doing it right now. I've watched COVID. I've watched my dad die in a week. I've watched things that are worse than that, as have you. I've watched my kids grow up, be in the church. I've watched grandkids be born, as have many of you. Life happens, and we've all had it happen to us. And, and what I want you to do with that bit of narrative, that 10 or 15 minutes, I hope this week you'll think about yours. And I want to read some scriptures. I'm going to go down and get my phone because I did a really bad job. I gave him, he pulled up the 10-year-ago outline. That's how long we keep stuff. I'm going to grab my phone real quick so I can get to the scriptures I want to. And that's how you can tell I'm doing something outside my comfort zone, right? <laughs> and I'm going to pull this up. If you'll sort it by date order, it should be the newest one if it did like it's supposed to. That's it. That's called putting the sound, sound room guys on the spot and them, them coming through for you. We've all got the story. We've all got a story of some sort. And the challenge to all of us, young and old, there's people here, I know there's people here that have never been in, in this building before this morning. There's people that have probably been here, if you were to count it, a thousand times. But it's the challenge to all of us to take our life story and to make it work for God. Whatever's happened, good or bad, whatever will happen, good or bad, to use our brothers and sisters, to use the Bible, to glorify God and to help each other make it through the valleys and the, and the mountains. We're going to read about 10 or 12 scriptures. We're going to make a few comments. And, and again, think about how you can use it today, how you can use it to think about things that have happened to you in the past, how you can use it to be a benefit to people in the future. 
that's all of our goal. That's all of our task. And everybody's not in the same spot today or tomorrow or the next day. Things happen, good and bad. Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We've all got burdens. The nice thing is we don't all have super huge burdens every day all the time. And the key to functioning well is for us to recognize and to know each other well enough that we can be of aid. And not just see people that need help and interject ourselves. If we're on the flip side, to see people that can help and be able to take help and ask for help. It's hard for us. I mean, I'm not one to go interject myself on top of people. It's hard to do that for a lot of people. We've all been burned. We're all nervous, don't want to make things worse. I'm also reluctant to ask for help. That's a bad pickle to get yourself into. And so it's about building trust with each other. We recognize the, the obligation and the command, but we need to trust each other enough to be able to fulfill it. It's, it's easy on these, I'll say, I don't think you call them emotional things or soft things. It's easy to go, if you're a kind of a one, two, three guy like me, well, it says bear one another's burdens. You need to go do that. <laughs> Why aren't you doing that? Well, that's easy to say and harder to do. And it, we've all got to push ourselves. That's really the answer. Bear one another's burdens. Sometimes it's a hug and nothing being said. Sometimes it is things being said and trusting each other and loving each other enough to, to be able to do that. Leads into Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. There's a reason why the first and great commandment is to love God with all of our being and to love our neighbor as ourself. That's what keeps everybody glued together. That's what happens when you have a falling out with a family member that somehow you can work it out and get back to, to some kind of level playing field. That's how Christian brothers and sisters learn to let some things go and they learn to forgive because we love each other. And in honor, we give preference to each other. The Bible says that a lot of ways... Uh, thinking of others before ourself. Being willing to sacrifice our time for other people or our discomfort for other people. What I tell myself, sometimes you've got to give space and grace. I don't know if that's the right term to use. We've heard, give me a little grace. Be forgiving to me. Sometimes we've got to give grace and space to people because you never know what's going on with them. I'm real quick to jump to conclusions. Well, why did they act like that? Because they should know better. <laughs> because guess what? I did too, <laughs> but I didn't. And when you're hurting and in crisis, it's hard to do that. So we need to give space and grace as we love each other. Hebrews 3, verse 13. Exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
I like to go back to definitions of words sometimes that I think I know, but they're not commonly used. Exhort is one of those what I'll call a, a church word. You don't use that normally in your common everyday language, and we all get an idea of what it means. And there's a wide variety of nuances of meetings, but here's the ones that I want us to think about because I think it's most appropriate. To call to one side is what it means to exhort. It's not, hey, you need to get after it, that kind of thing. It's to call somebody to your side to beg, entreat, or beseech. So it's not a pep talk necessarily. It's a coming alongside people. It's not a a pat on the back and go forth and conquer. It's going through it with somebody. So exhortation is not words, like a lot of things in the Bible. Exhortation is, is really actions and deeds. So we need to be able to do that. Now, can you do that with 400 people at one time? I guess I was wider than I am at one point in time, but I still couldn't get 400 people around me. And the danger of that, one of the, the real struggles, not the right word, but a challenge of a long, large congregation is to go, oh, there's 400 people. That's somebody else's job. Somebody else will do it. I'm just one of 400. I really don't matter. I really don't count. Therefore, that really doesn't apply to me. <laughs> and what I ask you and encourage you to do is think about your life and the things you've experienced. When people came alongside of you in low times, or when you reached out to people in hard times, or when you were alongside somebody when your times were good and theirs were low, and think about the great benefit of that. And if that didn't happen, think about how wonderful it would have been if somebody would have put down their nervousness, would have put down their pride. I don't, I mean, I don't think people do it on purpose. I don't, I don't do it on purpose their fear, whatever, whatever stopped us in the past or stopped you in the past and see, is there a way I can be that for somebody? It doesn't have to be major stuff. <laughs> I remember when things were going really good. And I, I keep, Jay's not even here, so that's good, I guess. I can throw his name and he can't, he probably won't go back and watch the YouTube version, so I won't get in trouble. I remember him. Oh, is he back there somewhere? Oh, there he is. Now, now I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> I remember out of the blue for no good reason him taking my oldest son David fishing a couple different times. I guess he went fishing because he liked to go fishing. But it wasn't because he wanted to teach David how to fish. (laughs) David didn't learn how to fish from me, but he knew how to fish. It was because he wanted to build a relationship with somebody in time that really there was no pressure and no reason. And and as time went on, he's done that with, as I found out, lots and lots of people. That opens up things when things, uh, maybe there is a reason when you need it. And here's why Paul, whoever the writer of Hebrews says, to come alongside each other daily, regularly, in a way that we know each other, it's easy to get hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And, and here's what I get in my mind a lot of times. Well, that drug addict and that alcoholic, they just keep drinking and they're hardened and so they're just, they forgot God. But you know, it's easy to get hardened through the trials of life. 
there's a whole lot wider application of that scripture than the sins of the flesh. And really, I'll say, in our case, in many ways, hardening for a lot of other reasons probably applies to a lot of us a whole lot more than what we consider the sins of the flesh. But guess what? The truth is the same. They harden us. And the devil is extremely tricky. The devil's our enemy. It's not our brother. It's not even these individuals that may have done us wrong. It's the devil. Satan's tricky. Many times I've pulled out the example of the beer commercials and how they're all fit and trim and all happy and lucky, and that's really not the picture in life. But, but here's the other way the devil's really tricky. <laughs> oh, nobody understands you. <laughs> You've got it so much worse than anybody's ever had it. They just don't understand. My parents, my spouse, my elders, they don't understand. And the devil's really, really, really tricky. He'll make us think ways that we don't think normally. <laughs> and it's not about these blatant things necessarily. They could, they could be. But it's the tricks he plays on our minds. 1 Peter 1, verse 22, Since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. People that are hurting, people that are in crisis, don't need solutions sometimes. They need to know that someone loves them deeply and sincerely, and they've got good motives. It's not magic words. I use that term a lot. That's an example. I wish, in lots of ways, and the older I get and the more things I experience, I wish I had a magic wand that I could go like this and fix things. The older I get, the more things I see, and I'm sure you're the same way. There is no magic wand. But there is God. And what I want you to get out of this, if you're in a low spot, is there's hope. There's hope through your brothers and sisters. There's hope through Christ. Love out of a pure heart. Deeply. Sincerely. Empathize with people. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's not really a feeling sorry for people. Man, they're really bad off. I wish that wouldn't have happened. Maybe that's part of it. But it's really, in our own minds, hurt. <laughs> hurt like they hurt. Feel the pain that sometimes is mental, but it becomes physical to the point that we can experience it with them. On the flip side, when there's joy, be able to experience the joy with them in a way that makes our, our burdens seem light and our steps seem springy. That's the Romans 12 type of love and empathy. That's how we can use our experiences with other people. How our life story can help other people. I tried to do everything you did in freshman English class probably to try and divert the teacher to something more interesting or to forget or distract so that I didn't have to learn freshman English because that wasn't my favorite class. If it was yours, uh, maybe you should be helping me. 
this is a, a quote that really stuck in my mind, and I've, I've used it maybe right or wrong lots of times. No man's an island unto himself, or entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. The Bible compares us to a body, and I could read Romans in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, that same type of picture. Every single one of us influences and is influenced by every other one of us. Let's use that for right and for good and for help. Doesn't mean force things, doesn't mean push things. It means when we love deeply and fervently and think about other people's needs, we all can be a help. From as simple as a meal and a prayer and a pat on the back to other things as well. John 10, verse 10, because here is the sad but always true statement. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Think about that. Steal, kill, and destroy. We talked about how deceitful the devil was. He's not just tricky, he's got awful, awful motives. <laughs> I remember, I was, I think I'd already gone to college. But I remember my folks' house getting broken into. Somebody kicked in the front door, didn't get really much stuff, but stole a pair of boots and a few other odds and ends, damaged the door. And the way my dad thought about things flipped, maybe it always would have, but... I came home the next time, and there were these weird little light things that everybody's got now, but back then nobody had them that made the lights turn on in the middle of the night at random times. And the, the door that previously you turned and locked with the thumb, now it had these weird deadbolts that you had to lock. Because it's awful when somebody steals from you. It takes away a lot of security. It makes you question things. It makes you suspicious of people. And stealing's bad. If you've ever had something stolen, you just kind of feel violated. But the devil's not satisfied with stealing your stuff. <laughs> with stealing things away from you. Here's what he wants to happen. I also want to kill you. We've probably all seen TVs or shows or movies or read it in the paper. Somebody came in. They wanted to steal some money out of somebody's desk drawer. They got surprised, and they weren't happy to knock them in the head and leave. They killed them, too, for no good reason, other than they're, they're awful people. Bad things happen, the devil's happy, but guess when he's happier? When other people get killed, too, even though there's no good reason. Because the devil came to steal and to kill. And ever so often we read about a story where they didn't just steal and kill somebody, they tore up the house, they dumped gas, and they burned it all down. Because they weren't happy with stealing and killing. They had to destroy everything, too, that went with it. That's how the devil works. And I think, you know, we're not talking about somebody breaking into your house and burning it down. That's what he likes to do with people's lives. That's what he wants to happen, and he's happy when that does happen. He wants to maximize the collateral damage that I'm extremely 
distraught because of a death in my family. And he, he's, he's happy when there's misery like that. But he's even happier when that breaks a family apart. He's even happier when it causes a family to lose their faith in God. And, and you can make the examples and, and see the, the point I'm trying to make. But the great thing is, Jesus is just the opposite. He's just the opposite. He came so we could have life. Life and life that's abundant. Physically, maybe. Spiritually, for sure. When we look at it through that spiritual lens, and we say that a lot of times, there's a physical way to look at things, and there's a spiritual way to look at things. When we look at it spiritually, and we have that perspective, there's no doubt. We've all got an abundant life. We've all got hope. Even when things look really bad. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. going to read a, a few verses here. <clears throat> and he talks about the hope we have in Jesus. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. You hear the term physical perspective versus spiritual perspective? And really that's the example of it that we're reading right there. How in the world can some of the misery that I've seen going on in the last few weeks, how can someone say... <laughs> My present troubles are small because some of them are huge. It's about perspective. And sometimes people who've lived a story can help give perspective. A spiritual perspective helps us find a place for it. And usually it's a combination of both of those things or, of, or all those things. Because what happens when we're the ones that are in crisis, we don't have perspective because all that we see is what's happened right here because it's so awful. Because guess what the devil's trying to do? Steal and kill and destroy. And what our goal is to not let that happen to each other. And one of those ways is perspective. So... We don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things which we see now will soon be gone. Not just the troubles, but life in general. Less than I talk, I guess that's the sign of... You sit around and talk about the medicines you're taking, and you sit around and talk about how fast life has happened to you. And people tell you and tell you, so when you 30-year-olds, I probably told you, life is short, enjoy your kids. And people, talk, and I believe people, but I had no perspective in which to really appreciate what they were saying. Life goes quickly. And bad and good alike is going to be gone soon. <laughs> but the things that we don't see, they're going to last forever. And that's where our hope's at. That's how we use our story to help other people. That's how we get through things that are awful as the devil's trying to deceive us and steal and kill and destroy. One final, 
final verse here. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And like some of the other scriptures we've read, I want to look at it a little different than I've looked at it in the past. You know, I've always thought, well, somebody's doing drugs or cheating on their spouse. They're doing something really bad. I need to swoop in there and snatch them away from the evil stuff that's going on. And, and that's true. But I want us to think about the idea of perspective in a physical versus spiritual perspective. I think there's a reason why he says, you which are spiritual help restore someone. In the context of the perspective that we've talked about this morning, spiritual means we can see what's going on with a clearer view than the person that's having it happen to them. They're thinking physical because physical pain's real. We need to consider ourselves, but that's how we can, in this context, bear each other's burdens. We can't know the pain. We can empathize and try to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. But we can love sincerely and deeply and we can help give perspective because just as dangerous as drugs or a cheating spouse or things we might consider really really bad are the sins and the non-spiritual thoughts that run through our head of apathy anger and despair and we can help each other with those things the Bible's there we all can help we've all got stories the key is, that's not what we glory in. That's not what we beat ourselves up about. I had a friend that says a lot of times, it is what it is. Our life is what it is. Things have happened to us that have happened. What are we going to do with them? Are we going to use our story in a godly way? Are you in a stormy or a calm part of your story? Use the help that you may need or give the help that you have to offer. Do you look at the world through a spiritual lens or a physical lens? Use people, use your experiences to help people see the world through a spiritual perspective and help each other be have a spiritual perspective. I hope you're thinking this morning, and I hope that it's helped you in the days to come, it'll help you in the days to come. We've all got a story Let's use it for God. Let's use it for Christ. If there's some way that the church can assist you this morning, we want to be able to do that. It doesn't have to be here publicly. If there's a way that we can help you privately, we want to do that as well. Please come while we stand and sing.